0: Everybody welcome back in to another episode of the Catella Chronicles podcast with your host Dominic Lorenz and freshly back from a honeymoon and newly married David Goodkind in the house David how does it feel to be married
1: man now uh, it feels great it's been a long time coming the wife and i are just happy it's kind of it's kind of over and we can move on back to normal life again
0: the craziness is over life is Going back to normal. So, congratulations to you and your bride. While you were gone, though, the Ducks have started their season, hasn't gone so great. The Angels season, well, it had finished when you left, but there's been news circulating around the Angels so far. Perry Manassian has made some news. And yesterday, the MLB award nominations come out. And of course, our one and only Shohei Otani is nominated for AL MVP. That's a precursor to what we're talking about in the future here in this episode. But SoCal sports, basketball's back, football's in motion. How does it feel right now to be a sports fan in general, not just in Southern California, but just across the country?
1: It's pretty exciting. I know last month, while I was on my honeymoon, there was a, a sports equinox. Um, there was something similar this last uh, few days. So uh, there's always something. I know basketball in LA has been kind of touchy lately, uh, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, you know the, the Kings are doing well. The Ducks still have a lot of talented young players, and then baseball is kind of like a year round sport, right? We have such a long season, and then the off season. You, even today, we have so much news to talk about. So, if you're a sports fan, there's really no better time than like October, November. Great months for for uh, sports watching.
0: Absolutely, and before we start off with our ducks conversation today, your Jets football team are doing extremely well. So I know you're got to be happy about that one.
1: (laughs) Oh (laughs) yeah, that on the bingo card. It's really weird. I know, like I know there was a fan who flipped the coin for the entire Jet schedule, and he's been perfect up through the bye week. So uh, I guess he had it. But the rest of us, even uh, us Jets fans, we're so used to living in misery that it's just (laughs) been so. It's been so uh, out of body and and surreal and uh i don't know i don't know how to to handle the success i mean when i was uh at the end of high school i guess i had i had the this the sanchez the mark sanchez <laughs> years and uh, he had some pretty some pretty ugly moments but there were two uh, afc championship games that they, the jets made so um it's been a long time since then. That was, that was a decade ago. I'm used to riding off Sundays, and now I actually have brooding interests again, and they're fun. So sports, for me at least, has been really great recently.
0: Hey, there's always a reason to be on the couch and watch some sports. And for us here at Catella Chronicles, you and I, of course, we focus on the Angels and the Ducks. So let's get right on into it, and let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks to start off the show here today. Um, not so great through the first 13 games of the season, four, eight and one record. And the numbers are staggeringly bad to say the least. Unfortunately, um, defense has been atrocious. And I'm going to throw these numbers out at you about defense for the ducks shots against the ducks per game, 40 and a half first in the NHL. Not great. Shots for the Ducks, 29.2, which ranks 27th in the league, and then if you look at special teams, their penalty kill unit, only successful 63.3% of the time, which is good for 30th, and their power play unit, 11.4%, 30th in the NHL, so bottom of the barrel, in many, many categories, and coming into this season, the Ducks had a very strong focus on their special teams unit, power play, and penalty kill. And so far through the first 13 games, it is not working out the way they wanted it to. So with this 4-8-1 record, besides the defense, or let's dive in on the defense for a minute, what's been the real problem for the Ducks? Because sometimes it just looks lazy, or they just look lost.
1: The lines really aren't meshing early on. There's a lot of problems for Aikens to solve, and I don't know if he can with this roster currently. Um, new acquisitions just aren't gelling the way we would have hoped. The special teams has been, like you mentioned, just so bad. Uh, it, it's like anytime I see a penalty kill, I'm kind of just chalking up a goal at this point. And then they're not really doing from the power play. I know scoring <laughs> power play goals on the road has been nearly impossible. Special teams can be so important in hockey, and they're they're just not converting on on either side. And that's just not going to result in a lot of wins. And the ones they're getting, they're, you know, they're getting in overtime too. So regulation is just been kind of a nightmare for the Ducks this season.
0: Most of the time, even on five-on-five on five play, even strength time, it just looks at times that they're skating through sludge, just slowness on the ice. The passes aren't crisp as they should be. And it's turning into turnovers, which turns into opposing team shot opportunities and staying in the defensive zone way too long. And it's just a perfect storm of a mess. You're having to see John Gibson and Anthony Stolarz basically have to play goalie on top of their heads and make some spectacular saves in order just to keep the ducks within a goal or two, even if it's in the first period early on in the game. So I know it hasn't looked pretty for Gibson and even Stolarz at times, except if you're Anthony Stolarz and you love playing in San Jose and picking up some big wins, which (laughs) – Shockingly enough, the Ducks haven't been bad this year against teams in their division. They beat San Jose twice. They beat Seattle on opening night. They did get a tough loss against Las Vegas, and then they lost to Vancouver. So three and two in their first five games against divisional opponents, which is honestly where the Ducks have actually shined extremely well this season, which has sometimes not been the case for the Anaheim Ducks
1: against their defensive foes. It's been weird. I mean, the the, the series against San Jose, that those were a physical series. Big lack of defense we saw, especially in that first game. And yeah, it's Dolores making some really timely saves and then also some really weird plays like the Zuckerberg own goal. I, I that That's one that's going to stand out for years to come. That was really odd. You would have hoped that Gibson may have kept the Ducks in games more – especially now that they're trying to still build up chemistry between these lines and, and the blue line still obviously figuring it out. He, goaltending is going to have to pick up this team, it looks like, already this this season. And Gibson really doesn't – he hasn't really been up to the challenge just yet. So it's been discouraging on that end. But, yeah, it has been wild. It's been a wild ride, I guess, against, against the, the division. It'll be curious to see how, how it looks going forward, especially against the weaker teams like Vancouver and San Jose. The Pacific hasn't come out necessarily strong. Not at all. There's been
0: some teams in the Pacific that I thought would come out to a raging start, kind of like the Kings and like the Calgary Flames. We haven't seen that. It's actually been the Las Vegas Golden Knights that have come out and even shined further than the favored Edmonton Oilers.
1: Which doesn't surprise me. I kind of stuck with Vegas a little bit in our preseason talks. It's just so hard to rule them out. It's a franchise that from inception has already been there and they've done that and they have experience winning, winning hockey games. So you don't go through the, I guess, the learning curve with with new players like you would with another franchise, the Ducks, which is complete turnover now from the old regime and the old winning ways where it's going to take some time building back up. Vegas really hasn't, had to deal with that and they probably won't for some time so their success really hasn't surprised me it's it's a franchise that obviously knows what they're doing with good players they've built up a a tradition of consistency
0: correct and the ducks did suffer a major blow in that game against las vegas a couple weeks ago they lost their defenseman jamie drysdale for four to six months with a torn labrum in his shoulder he had surgery to repair it. he's in a sling The odds of him coming back for the last couple weeks of the season is not so great, so he's probably going to be out for the remainder of the 2022-2023 season. That takes a big spot, especially on the youth movement for the Ducks, out of the defense line. So you're going to have to see Cam Fowler, Kevin Shattenkirk, uh, John Klingberg going to not only be veteran presence, but actually play and fill that role extremely well. The Ducks do have youth on the D-line, but it hasn't shown up as much as it could so far. So that's going to be an area that I'm going to have to focus on, especially with Drysdale out. But looking at a few positives for the Ducks so far, because, you know, we like to be positive here as much as we can. You know, we got the Angels and, you know, we can only be so positive with them every once in a while. But the Ducks have had strong performances from, of course, Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras, and two of the newcomers, Ryan Strom and Frank Bertrano. Have done exceptionally well as forwards this season. So let's talk about the four of them for a minute. We knew what we were getting out of Trevor Ziegris and Troy Terry. Just lightning fast energy, terrific highlight real plays. But let's go to Strom and Vitrano. What has those two veteran presence brought to the ducks front forwards so far this season?
1: I think there's a, a healthy level of aggression, especially from like Vitrano. Um, they're really putting pucks on net. Uh, They're providing sort of like a veteran presence to this young core and they've immediately contributed offensively, obviously. I'm pulling up uh, some stats right now. So Strom's already got four goals and Vetrano four as well. So plus minus could be a little bit better. Strom especially is a is a minus five, but then again, it's the Ducks are just giving up too many goals right now, so you can't really hold it against them. They're not yeah, the plus line.
0: minus category it's, is something to kind of just ignore for you know the first thirteen it's, games it's, so far. It's
1: ugly. I mean, uh, yeah, it's not it's not a pretty uh, line to look at, but yeah, they're coming in, they're contributing, and with the blue line that you know the back check hasn't been really any good. Uh, they're leaving their goalies out to dry. You really need the offense. You need to be winning games like six to five. So that means you need your forwards producing. And they've come in and they fit in pretty well so far. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's, it's about the youth. And, and Troy Terry looks like that guy. He's that dude. He's, he's already started off really strong. You know, five goals, 12 assists. Um, and it's, it's sort of looking like his team. I know that Zegers gets all the talk. But Terry is that – he's that consistent player night in and night out. He may not be the Ducks' most flashy player, but he is their most consistent. And with a young team like this, with the sprinkling of veteran players, and as they try to sort of dig themselves out of this hole, even if they don't, you still want to see some consistency. You still want to see see some improvement. And we are seeing that out of Terry the uh, the last two seasons, and that's continuing on.
0: And I don't want to put Terry and Zegers on a pedestal so fast – but for the love that we have for the Ducks team, the organization, the Terry Ziegler's combo, I'm going to say this again, reminds me of Getzloff and Perry. You know, you had Getzloff, who was the more notoriety type player that would always be in the media. He was the captain. He would get the star power. And that's kind of like Zegers. Zegers making those phenomenal lacrosse style plays last season. He's a jokester. He's just all over the ice. And then you have Terry, who conveniently enough rhymes with Perry, and they're kind of under the radar guys that go score, get the job done. And in a way, we could probably say during the Getzloff Perry era, was Perry sometimes more valuable than Getzloff? There could be a conversation said, and vice versa. So I really in see In the a heart lot season
1: of- for sure. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So I see a lot of Getzloff Perry attributes in Terry and Zegras, which I love to see. Now, as I look at the standings right now, not only in the Pacific Division, but in the Western Conference, the Ducks sit 4-8-1, and one, nine total points this season. Shockingly enough, they are just three points, which is a game and a half, out of the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. Now, again, we're 13 games into an 82-game season. There's a long way to go. So let's that's, we'll pump the brakes for a minute, but let's just put it in perspective for a minute. The Ducks, for as bad as they've been playing, are only a game and a half out of a playoff spot. So there's still plenty of time to right the wrongs this season, and I feel the forwards for the Ducks are on a good pace. They're putting together a good trajectory. I think if you can clean up the defense a little bit, and if you can, I'm not saying drastically improve the special teams unit overnight, you're not going to go from 30th in the NHL in power play and penalty kill to top 10 within one homestand. That's just irrelevant, and it's not going to happen. But if you can get at least into the middle of the pack, I'd say 15th to 20th in the NHL in special teams, you could see the Ducks. I'm not going to guarantee a playoff spot, even though in our preseason discussion I said the Ducks would be third in the Pacific Division, and I'm looking like a kook by doing that now. But if you could fix a couple of things and, and tighten the hinges up a little bit, this Ducks team could make some noise, at least in the wild card portion of the playoff standings. What do you think? It's
1: interesting because they're not out of it yet, but we talked about it earlier. Pacific has been really bad. The West hasn't been really good. I think a lot of these teams are going to figure it out. So the Ducks also have to be one of those teams to figure it out. And right now they're just not passing the eye test. The blue line's a mess. Special teams, it's going to have to be drastically different. I know it can't happen overnight, but... This cannot continue. They're going to have to kill penalties. I mean, we've seen them in the past like get by with having like an iffy power play, but their penalty kill has been sharp. They need to at least get, I need, we need to see them at least in the penalty kill and not go, all right, here's a three goal coming up. Like they really need to hunker down, but that's also going to translate into the blue line getting better too. So their defense needs to improve greatly for them to be in sort of any sort of playoff conversation because the Kings are going to get better. Edmonton, you have Edmonton, Calgary, are both going to be better than they are right now. And I think Vegas is going to keep being really good. And Vancouver, like I mentioned the preseason, I didn't didn't think they'd be a playoff team, but I thought they would be a spoiler. I think San Jose is the only team that's kind of done what we thought they would do. They have Carlson who's killing it. And then everyone else is kind of just falling flat, but the ducks right now are not passing the eye test. They they're being carried by Zegris and Terry. I don't really think that's debatable at this point. Strom's been a nice contributor, but you look at you know, all the stats, you look, you watch the games, and it's like you want goals. You have those two guys out there on the line. You can't split them up too because of how well they play together. The ducks have a lot of issues to fix right now. And fortunately for them, it's not necessarily a talent problem. It's just sort of um execution. Fine tuning things. Right. Yeah. The execution has definitely been lacking. So a lot of that has to do with youth. Uh, it's it's getting more ice time in Akins has to give more ice time to certain guys play guys in correct positions at some point Uh, looking at McTavish playing center finding that sweet spot and then the consistency right it's it's executing on a night in night out basis right now they're kind of all over the place sometimes the offense is really there but the defense has that's only been consistent don't is the defense has been consistently bad so you can't keep lagging like this because right now they're, they're just not showing enough to indicate that, that they're postseason ready this year.
0: Yeah. And as we record this podcast right now on Tuesday, November, the eighth, the Ducks have three more games on this homestand, Minnesota tomorrow, Chicago on Saturday and Detroit next Tuesday, three tough games, but based on the standings, they're three middle of the road teams. So hopefully the Ducks can get some points. In those three games before heading out on the road for three games in Winnipeg and two in St. Louis before coming home and taking on the New York Rangers who are a very strong team in the Eastern Conference on Wednesday, November the 23rd with the Ducks schedule coming up. There are some hard games, but they're going to have to get through some of these games in order to not only gain some points, but kind of grind their teeth and grow as an entire team through these first struggles through the first 13 games of the season. Now, before we get on to some baseball talk on the angels, there is one point about the ducks. I want to get to is the seat getting hotter for Dallas Akins after a four, eight and one start. Like we've already mentioned the line pairings and the juggling of the lineups that we're used to seeing with the angels. In that sense, we're seeing it with the ducks right now. Is that a point of contention that Akins is having problems with what he's been given, or is he just unsure and trying to get through growing pains? Because I know a lot of people want to see him fired. A lot of people said, just ride it out this year. We're kind of in that teeter-totter here, but through the first 13 games, 4-8-1, and one, is that seat getting hotter for Akins?
1: Yeah, he's either going to be fired at some point during the season or at the end of the season. Um, the only thing I could save him right now is just a miraculous turnaround, which – like like I said, is would it have to be miraculous. Like they have to figure it out overnight. Um, with Verbeek as the new GM, usually these guys want to bring in their own, own coaches. And Aikens hasn't really given given the team any reason to keep him. There's there's been no on ice success. We're seeing Terry and 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 Zegers continue to be really really good, but there hasn't been enough progress to to show the fans or the front office that uh, he's the guy to usher them in to the new era. So yeah, I think his seat's as hot as it can get. I'm
0: in agreement with you. I don't think he will be the coach next season. I think if GM Pat Verbeek gave him the keys to the castle and brought in some high price free agents this off season and they still started off the season like this, I think you would have saw a quick hook from yeah. Verbeek. But I think because we didn't see that, there is a little bit of a leeway. Um, but I think at some point, if it's the rest of November or at some point in December, I'll, I'll say before January one, if there is another losing streak, like the seven game losing streak we saw just a couple weeks ago, then I think the seat gets now unruly with heat and you could see a move before January 1st. So yeah. clock is ticking definitely on Dallas Aikens uh, and his tenure with the ducks. But again, A four, eight, and one start for the Anaheim Ducks. So, over their next six games, three home, three road, 12 points available for the Ducks. I think, in order to have some positive trajectory, it would be nice to see at least seven out of 12 points. That would be extremely positive. And I'm not saying that's book your ticket to the Stanley Cup now if you could do that, but I think it would show the Ducks in the right direction, especially against some quality teams, Eastern Conference, and some here in the Western Conference as well. But as we put the book aside on the Anaheim Ducks conversation for a moment here at Catella Chronicles, episode number 10, we've hit the double-digit mark in podcast episodes. Major League Baseball and the Angels. We got a lot of news over the last, I would say, 48 to 72 hours since the Houston Astros have won the World Series here in 2022. They picked up a 4-1 victory on Saturday against the Philadelphia Phillies, winning in six games. Um, fast thoughts on the World Series. I thought uh, the Phillies gave a valiant effort. It was great to see them and the city of Philadelphia really rally around that team. Bryce Herper looked great. We love Brandon Marsh to get a postseason home run, especially in the World Series. Phillies brought a lot to the table in the postseason knocking out the Cardinals, knocking out the Braves, knocking out the Padres and coming within two games of winning the World Series. I don't think any of us had the Phillies on the bingo card. Um, So props to them and their interim manager, Rob Thompson, to get the job done and get to the dance. Just too many strikeouts in the World Series. And after the Astros completed that no-hitter in game four, I think really the tables turned into the Astros' favor. Valiant effort by the Phillies. Congratulations to the Astros. I know not many people want to say congrats to the Astros. But I guess in some way, shape, or form, they have a legitimate World Series now since 2017.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were they were bit. the best team in baseball. They, they they've been the best team in baseball for a few years now, with just some bad series in the past. But they're consistently at the top of the American League for a reason. It's not cheating. It's because they're really talented and they got great scouts and great development. And by all accounts, they're they're running their franchise the right way since the cheating scandal. So they deserve to be there. I know we don't like it. I know it doesn't make us feel good. I know a lot of us are rooting for the Phillies, but the better team won, they deserve the accolades they're getting right now.
0: Dusty Baker picks up his first World Series championship in his managerial career, which was a nice moment to see. Final outs recorded, and before he celebrates, he must put that 27th out in the scorebook. So as a as a broadcaster who does scorebooking, Um, I appreciate that from a manager that focuses on that first, but let the man celebrate. He just got a a year extension on his contract. So he'll be, you know, riding the pine and making the lineup cards for the Houston Astros in 2023. What are you going to do? Like you said, the Astros are just an exceptional team, uh, a model of our favorite word consistency, which is something the angels lack. That's all you can do. And they won, but still, At the end of the day, you still got to tip your hat to the Philadelphia Phillies for what they did. They fought hard. I had the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series, beating the Houston Astros. I was far from that. Hey, I got the Houston Astros in the World Series. I got half the bracket right. But the NL side of the bracket was awful for me. Awful, awful, awful. So doing what they did this year. They just kept themselves in playoff contention and they're gonna have, I feel, a very strong offseason, free agency-wise, to keep their window open with GM Dave Dombrowski, I would say for at least the next three seasons,
1: guaranteed. What a coming out party for for Bryce Harper. It's something that we all wish for for Trout. I mean, if you if you've been following Harper's career when he came up with Trout, it was who's better and and whatnot. And Trout kind of separated himself, but Harper throughout his career he's been a great hitter and obviously uh he's had plenty of clutch moments won this past season against the angels with that grand slam so he's no stranger to these big hits it's just when you do it in october it's it's a little extra special we should also highlight that none of this happens without the universal dh like he with his injury he wouldn't have been been playing, so you know I'm I'm pretty sure Phillies fans if they weren't if they weren't around on that idea yet they are <laughs> they're completely sold on it now. So congrats to him. Obviously Marsh and Syndergaard it, it was you know I don't know fun is the right word but it was really interesting seeing them in the World Series and uh, I'm glad after sort of the the tumultuous year that the Angels had and Marsh's career with the Angels the last couple of years it it was nice to him smiling and celebrating and and contributing to that really special playoff run. I mean, the, the Phillies does, they deserve to be in the world series. They just ran into a buzzsaw. That's, you know, if there was any other team the Yankees or something like that, Indians could have been a whole other story, but the Ash were on a mission this year from, from start to finish. So congrats to both teams. It was a really uh, fun to watch series.
0: I know the butt of the joke is going to be, well, Hey, Brandon Marsh has more world series home runs than Mike Trout. Hey, Sometimes things just work out that way. In many sports, there's all-time great players that don't win championships. And I'm not putting the kiss of death on Mike Trout that he'll never win or he'll never get back to the postseason. But the facts are the facts that ever since 2014, the Angels haven't made the postseason. And there's been ex-Angels that have either left via free agency or in trades that are making an impact. And that's the beauty of sports. So tip of the cap to Brandon Marsh. In that sense, of of course, Noah Sindergaard as well. But I like what you said about the DH rule. The DH rule and the expanded playoffs have really highlighted the playoffs over the last two years. Last year, we saw the Atlanta Braves get in with that expanded playoffs and make a jump and a difference, and they end up winning the World Series. This year, even though it didn't lead to a World Series championship, the DH helps the Phillies get in to the fall dance. So... Some of these new rule changes and schematic changes in baseball are doing good for the sport, and it's going to really be nice to see when we get to this point, 365 days from today, and we crown a new World Series championship, how we feel about the new rules that are going to be getting implemented into baseball this season, the pitch clock, the amount of times you can throw over at a runner at first or any other base. The shift band, the third one, yeah. and I know the ex- the bigger size of the bases are going to be there too. But that's
1: uh, more that's going to um, matter. I think yeah. it's going to we're going to see that impact really quickly. I think that that'll yeah. be good though. I think yeah, be a positive change
0: with, with with those four rule changes happening. I think you're going to see a different dynamic happen. And I'm not saying that's going to make or break a World Series game seven. You never know, but we've seen it over the last two years now with. Small rule changes making a big difference. And I think with four big ones that will be happening in 2023, baseball is going through changes right now. It's not the same America's pastime that we've been used to for years ago. We've also seen all the, the sticky stuff come away from pitchers and we've seen the change in spin rates and the way batters are approaching pitchers. Now baseball's evolving and it's changing the game. Some people say for the better. Some people say not for the better, but at least in the schematics over the last two years, it's going better and more entertaining for the fans of Major League Baseball. Turning the tables to our beloved Angels, guess what? Shohei Otani's not going anywhere. Are we all shocked by that? Not at all. <laughs> crickets, crickets, crickets for crickets for five thousand, crickets for five thousand. No, Perry Manassian yesterday addresses to the media and makes it definely known, Shohei Otani, is not going to be traded this offseason. Congratulations. Welcome to Common Sense for Dummies, folks. The Angels just gave them $30 million to play for them next season to avoid arbitration. Did you really think they were going to trade $30 million away on a drop of a hat? Yeah, no. The media, John Heyman, needs to get over (laughs) themselves. And Dodger fans, Yankee fans, you're not getting them. It's not happening. The Angels have bigger fish to fry. Then trading Shohei Otani. One fish to fry would be extending Shohei Otani. Another one would be selling the team, Artie Moreno. And the third thing would be free agency. You know, there's other things to fry in this Angels organization. We've talked about this on numerous occasions in, in podcasts past. Angels are up for a sell right now. Artie Moreno has already made that announcement. There's a lot of ways this sell could go, and there's a lot of ways it could trickle down through the organization. David, I know you and I were talking before we started recording this podcast that there's probably a million and one factors that could happen or not happen once this sale is done and before this sale is done. There's so many ways we can go around this. Let's just start with Perry Manassian's comments about Shohei Otani. Again, neither one of us are surprised. There were some other comments that Perry Manassian made that I know you had some thoughts on, especially in regards to free agency and the, the idea of one year deals.
1: Yeah. I think when it comes to Otani, it just doesn't make sense for Arden Moreno to, to trade him one. He raises the value of the franchise as he's trying to sell it, especially since we've heard that there are Japanese bidders in this. I I doubt they're as interested without Otani on the team. Also, (laughs) What does Artie have, have to care about prospects coming back? It's not his franchise after a few months, right? So he doesn't care about necessarily the future health of the team. It, so prospects coming back do absolutely nothing from Reno. There's no there's no incentive to trade Otani for him at all at this point. Even if the Angels are terrible next year, Otani's gonna put butts in the seats. So we all we've all talked about this. It's no surprise that they have no intention to sell to to, to trade him anywhere. And then when it comes to the off season and free agency, oh boy, I, I mean, where do you want to start with that? There's a, like you said, there's a million ways you can go with this. Um, I know there are a lot of fans who are are putting the health of the franchise on this off season. I think we need to take a step back for a second and understand that this sale is everything. The new ownership coming in is going to dictate. Uh, how this franchise goes because you could you could literally steve cohen and and then just go buy players over the next couple seasons after this one to to fill holes if you really need to but philosophically and and as a fandom i i it's almost like the the play on the field doesn't matter next season as much as this sale does the next couple months like that's going to shape what the angels look like in the next 10 20 years
0: it's crazy to think that a year ago, I don't want to say exactly to the day, but a year ago this time, we were talking about this was going to be the offseason for the Angels, that they had to get it right going into the 2022 season. We thought we got a lot of pieces with Cindergard, Lorenzen, Luke, Tepera. There were some question marks, but we thought, okay, after the Houston Astros, Seattle's kind of questionable. Texas was questionable. Oakland, we knew wasn't going to be great. Maybe this is the year with the extra wildcard spot. The Angels could contend for second and contend for the wildcard. Clearly, that was never going to be the case, except for maybe April and the first half of May. Now, as we sit here, it's not a shock to us when you look at every single free agent outlook for every single team on every single news outlet. What does it say about the Angels? They need a shortstop, an outfielder, and starting pitching in that order. I agree 100% that that's what the Angels need to do, and I feel that is the proper order. Look at the production that the Angels got this year from their infield. Take away Rendon for a minute and take away Fletcher due to injuries for just the conversation's sake. Ranjifa was a great story. I don't think we expected that coming into the season. I don't know if we really knew what his role was going to be with the team, and it ended up being a very important role. But then you had guys like Tyler Wade and Andrew Velasquez that did nothing for this team. Matt Duffy did nothing really as well. He gave us one walk-off victory in September, which was chump change time. Not really much going on there. Jared Walsh was injured as well. The infield for the Angels was a very debacle area for this team. Anthony Rendon was injured for a majority of the year. But, hey, he played the last two games of the season. And then David (laughs) Fletcher was injured, had surgery, recovered. And he played pretty well, like the David Fletcher we knew when he came back. So sitting here right now, I'm not worried about David Fletcher anymore. I thought if he had a so-so remainder of the year when he came back, I would be worried. But I'm okay. Rendon's health I'm worried about. The question marks at shortstop I'm worried about. And I am a little bit worried about Jared Walsh coming back from the thoracic uh, outlet surgery that he had. Hopefully his rehab is going well and he can have that all-star caliber year at first. We know defensively he's great. We just need those power numbers and those consistent numbers to come back up. And especially let's lower the strikeout rate at this point with this infield. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, I'm going to tie Rendon back to something you and I are both familiar with, (laughs) with LA basketball. Uh, You have Anthony Davis. I have Kawhi Leonard. And availability is the best ability. Uh, both guys are are dancing around the nickname Street Clothes. Uh, Rendon, <laughs> Rendon is it fits that mold. I mean, he he reminds me of. There's a lot of a little bit of Anthony Davis in him, and definitely the Kawhi with missing huge chunks of time, where he gets hurt and misses most of the season. And then when he's playing, he's kind of underperforming to the level that we're not accustomed to seeing. He's a very frustrating player in that sense. Because he's either really hurt or he's underperforming. He's never really been Matt's Anthony Rendon, and, and that's tough to watch. And he, he's not reliable. You can't count on him. Count on him, and he's got such a a big contract and he's supposed to be such a big part of this team. And you can't rely on your star at third baseman. that's a really big issue. And they can't necessarily they can't leave him off the roster or take him on the line for whatever. You have to rely on him. You're kind of forced in that position. And if he's not producing or not healthy, then you're you're already behind the eight ball. Walsh's production this last season scared me. Uh, <laughs> this was a huge drop off from what we saw a season before. Um, the strikeouts were insane. Um, I'm hoping the new hitting coach can kind of fix that. Because what, from what we saw to Jeremy Reed was an arrestable offense. I never understood <laughs> how he outlasted Joe Madden. There were no plate approach changes or anything. Like you saw with, with Marsh immediately goes over to to the Phillies and they start working on, on everything, a stance, a swing. Um, you see changes. You see some sort of adjustment with, with the angels. It's just kind of like, well, at least they're not hitting it at double plays, right? Like oh, that were...
0: quote kills me. Strikeouts it's are nonsense. better than
1: double plays. Oh, it was nonsense. Nails it, it on a chalkboard. Contagious. They're, they were almost getting no hit a bunch of times you know, at least like three times this last season, striking out double digits every game. It was just, it was really tough to watch. I agree with you about David Fletcher. He has earned the good faith that we have in him. We should probably expect more vintage David Fletcher going into next season. But, but Walsh has, man, that would talk about like two sides of the coin, right? You have an all-star level player and then, and then man can't make contact the next season. So that's tough. And then Rendon, I'm just, it's that's a just big, the it's best. going
0: to be a huge year for Anthony Rendon. He's three years into a seven year deal. It, it didn't start off great because we had the pandemic in 2020 and we were only going to get 60 games of Rendon. Ironically, anyway. that's the
1: most he's played.
0: Funny enough, look at the irony in this. And then injuries the last two years. So I thought 2022 was going to be a make it or break it year for Rendon. Well, with that being said, I think 2023 has to be a year of health and productivity. If it is not, I think we can now categorize this contract as a failure. I think right now with Rendon, I f- believe we're maybe at, what, a minus C-D+, plus, maybe even a D-minus, because he has I've played some D games. Category. Um, the only reason why he's not getting an F is because he hit a left-handed hitting home run. <laughs> which might've been cool. yeah. that might've been a play of the year for him or a play of the career with the angels. But 2023 is going to be a absolute monster year for him in the sense that he's got to play. He's got to be healthy. He has to be the Anthony Rendon. We signed back in the winter of 2019 leading into 2020, because if he's not, that's going to start going into the conversation of pool halls, Hamilton, Gary Matthews, Jr. Vernon Here, Wells.
1: Here's the thing. Let's say he gets hurt again next year, or he just completely underperforms. He is the Angels' worst contract over Pujols, over Hamilton, over Wells, because at least they played.
0: Yeah. that's They
1: played, and he's not playing, and he's also prohibiting you from giving money to Otani or giving money to players that could help Otani and Trout, two of the greatest generational players, get to the playoffs. That's money you could have spent on guys or pitchers or whatever, Uh, coaches. That's money you could have given to someone else to help the team get there, and that's just dead money if he's not playing. He's not contributing. And that to me is a lot worse than Albert Pools hitting like 240.
0: Yeah, that's a mic drop moment, people. David wins the mic drop of the night. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say it, but everything you just said is 100% accurate and true. It's going to be huge. And I don't want this to be a failure for the Angels organization. We've had enough failures to last uh, decades upon decades. But I agree with you 100% wholeheartedly. It could be the worst of the bunch if there's another injury in 2023 or in subsequent years after that, even right. if 2023 is healthy. Um, but you did mention something that is worth noting definitely. Guess what? As of yesterday, the Angels have two new coaches. They have Marcus Thames is going to be the new head hitting coach and Phil Plantier is going to be the assistant hitting coach. And then the third and final coach to discuss is the new assistant pitching coach because Matt Wise kept his job. And I think deservedly so the angels starting rotation and bullpen at times weren't amazing, but they were the strongest asset to the angels team this year. So props to Matt Wise and the entire pitching staff for the angels. Uh, Bill Heasel is now the new assistant pitching coach and a fun fact about Heazel, He comes from driveline. And for those that don't know about driveline, it's a, pitching academy that is very statistically and analytically driven, and they worked with Otani and Sandoval amongst many other pitchers in Major League Baseball last season. And look at the production we got from Otani and from Sandoval this 2022 season. So there's a lot of good things to like, and with Driveline now becoming more integrated in the Angels organization, Three new coaches, the The two hitting coaches were friends and co-coaches with Phil Nevin back in his New York Yankee days from 2018 to 2021, so familiarity played a huge role in them coming over to the Angels. What do you think about these three moves uh, on the coaching staff side of things? I like the moves. I think during the Yankees' tenure with Thames and Plantier, you saw more walks and less strikeouts. That was the biggest thing I took away from their resume as hitting coaches and assistant hitting coaches. So that's something I like. And Bill Heasel, I like him already, especially with what he did with Otani and Sandoval and many other pitchers. So I think three quality moves, I get the two hitting coaches. Again, familiarity plays a role. um, But hopefully this improves, I think, the strikeout ratio for the Angels because that has seriously needs to come down leading into 2023
1: it's sort of tough to have a prediction on something like this but obviously change was needed because you can't really get much worse than what the angels were doing with just consistent consistently striking out and not getting on base i mean i can't i can't say that these guys are going to fix everything but uh, they seem like smart hires and the philosophical differences are are noticeable and that's exactly what the Angels needed going forward. They needed a change. And, and it looks like they got him in the form of these three guys. I agree
0: with you. It is tough to tell the tale on what these coaches can do and how good they will be because, really, they're the ones giving the information and the adjustments, but the players have to execute. I'm just right. excited because Jeremy Reed's gone, and even though Sorrento is going to be in, still within the organization in some way, shape, or form – at least he's not dealing with the hitters on a consistent basis he won't be the assistant hitting coach anymore so for me that is a somewhat sense of relief that those two guys are going to be taking a step back one being gone
1: at the end of the day it's just dis- addition by subtraction right it's yeah whatever reed was doing wasn't working i know there are fans from, who are disappointed with Matt Weiss sticking around but the pitching wasn't the problem this year the bullpen bullpen can use some help, but the starting pitching was actually really solid this year. So, like it or not, Wise deserves some credit for the the progress that the rotation made. And and so I have like like you, I have no problem with him keeping his job for the upcoming season.
0: Yeah. So welcome to the Angels organization, Thames Plantier and Hazel, hitting coach, assistant hitting coach, and assistant pitching coach, respectively, in that order. Wish them nothing but the best under manager Phil Nevin hey, the hitting coaches have Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani to work with. That's got to be a very distinct selling point when you're trying to get some new hitting coaches into the organization. So you got to do what you got to do. We'll see once the regular season begins, and then we'll get a track record of how their input is different from Reed and Sorrento that we got the last two seasons. I don't think it can get any worse. I don't want to say that and make it true. But, hey, this is the Angels, knock on wood. Hopefully – It's on to bigger and better things for this organization. After those announcements were made, a couple hours later, MLB Awards were announced their nominations. The only angel that was nominated, of course, Shohei Otani, named a finalist for the American League MVP alongside Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez for the Houston Astros. We've said this numerous times. We don't have to keep getting into the numbers. We still feel that Shohei Otani is the AL MVP for a second year in a row. What Judge did was impressive, 62 home runs. Congratulations. What else did he do? I don't know. Yordan Alvarez was impressive, but I still think it should be Shohei Otani's award. The one out of all the awards that were nominated and presented uh, to start yesterday I still in my heart believe that Otani will get votes for the American League Cy Young. I'm shocked he wasn't in the top three. I know that might sound a little yeah. homery and a little halo honky, but if you look at Otani's numbers and you look at his splits, why couldn't he have been? I get Dylan Seats of the White Sox. I get Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays and I get Justin Verlander of the Astros. Nothing to knock those three guys, but What Shohei Ohtani did, this was really the first year we got to see Shohei Ohtani be an ace. 2021 was a great story because before that, he really didn't have too many ace moments or or full resumes. We really got to see that this year in 2022. And I thought the numbers he put up were a couple games short of nearly immaculate.
1: He looked so dominant this season. It's almost wild to think that in a lot of ways, at least in, pitch- in pitching, he was better this year than he was last year. And it, last year was just such an incredible season, arguably you know, the greatest season of all time for any baseball player. Yeah, we really saw him take another step this this past season on, on the mound.
0: I think to a certain degree, I think Manassian and Artie Moreno were probably thrilled. Well, I don't want to say thrilled, but they're maybe relieved that Otani wasn't named a top three finalist for the Cy Young as well, because they would have been like, dang it, we got to add more money now to the AAV and the new contract extension. (laughs) But I I don't think that really mattered. We know who Shohei Otani is. We know what he can do on a daily basis on the mound, in the batter's box. He is a unicorn, and it's it's a thrill to see each and every game. David and I are not going to bore you anymore with why Shohei Otani is amazing. Or why he is probably the best player in Major League Baseball right now. And that's extremely tough to say because his teammate is Mike Trout. Again, Mike Trout doesn't pitch. But Shohei Otani is an animal within himself. So Mike Trout, you know, had his injuries this year. He's been a three-time MVP. Shohei Otani trying to make it two. And in back-to-back fashion here in 2022 against Aaron Judge and Don Alvarez. So with the awards announced... Free agency is coming up. And as we get to here to the last segment here of episode number 10 of the Catello Chronicles podcast with Dominic Lorenz, with David Goodkind, we will in the future have a specific episode and much, much content dedicated to free agent frenzy. It's here. It's upon us. Players are accepting or decline team or player options. The angels only have three free agents that they have officially let go. That's Michael Lorenzen. Matt Duffy. And I'm blanking on the third one because I know Kurt Suzuki was one, but he retired. I'm blanking on the other one. But free agent discussions are upon. And to give a little sneak peek, I know we have talked about this internally. The Angels have some needs to fill. We've already talked about it. Shortstop outfield starting pitching. I compiled a list last night of some players that I would like to see. I'm not going to get into all of them because this will be something for the future. But I want to give the fans something to marinate over, probably until the next podcast. This is what I'm thinking: to address the outfield need, go get Andrew Benatendi. Good productive bat. He's got some speed, and guess what? He's not 30 years old yet. He's 20. He's 28 and a half, 29 years old. Still young, still got it going on. If you want to go out and get a starting pitcher, sure. There's Jacob deGrom out there. I think it's a little too pricey. Why not go get Chris Bassett? He declined his option for the Mets, had a really good season. Yeah, he's probably going to cost at least 15 to $20 million a year. But hey, a dynamic arm. If you want to go out and get a shortstop, that's not $300 million in Trey Turner. I've made this conversation before. I could see them going after Carlos Correa, but with a heavily player opt-out deal like he got with the Minnesota Twins. If you don't want to go that route, why not go get former prospect Gene Segura back? You could get him on a nice, somewhat veteran discount. He's still producing. He could play second. You could put Fletcher at short. You could have that nice versatility combination. And for relief help, give me the bearded wonder or the mustache wonder and Andrew Chafin. David, that's my four, I don't know, Drop the, that's my mic drop moment. It's early for free agents. <laughs> but Ben Attendee, Bassett, Segura, Chafin, if those are the four guys the Angels got, on a scale of one to 10, how content would you be with those four guys?
1: Like an eight, maybe even higher. I, I, I don't have much optimism in this, in this offseason aside from all focus being on that Otani Ota- extension. I really don't know what they're going to do. I, I see already dealing out multi-year deals because he doesn't have to foot the bill anymore, and or you could see him keep it low because he wants to make the the team look sexier to a potential buyer, which will determine uh, the philosophy for this front office <laughs> getting you know their their hands dirty with with this free agent class. So I think those are all, those are all solid players. They're not, it's not dumpster diving for sure. (laughs) We're so used to the dumps dumpster diving. We're so used to seeing career minor leaguers get shots with the angels and not really making most of that opportunity. So it would be nice to see major leaguers fill in immediately. Right. And then, and these guys, these guys have all produced. So um, I, I would be happy with those signings and they're all, they're all realistic signings too. I don't feel like you said anything crazy or anything like that. I'm, you know, I'm, I am mean, I'm seeing some fans like Trey Turner. I'm like, well, first of all, it's pretty apparent he wants to go to the East Coast. Yeah. And also it, it, that kind of deal is just not going to happen with the Angels this off season. uh Sale or no sale, it wasn't going to. So, but yeah, those are all, those are all, I think, smart targets.
0: You know, it, it it's very early for free agent predictions. I know the media has taken it to a new extreme and, you know, there's already guesstimations and projections and it's very early, but. Yeah, am I going to set my sights on we're getting DeGrom, Trey Turner, and Brandon Nemo? No, I'm not going to say the Angels are going to break the bank this offseason. There's too much riding on this and too much uncertainty and even more so way too many variables that can swing the pendulum either way with the entire Angels organization. So it's probably best to not stay small like the one-year dumpster dive, but kind of go in the middle, find some value, find some quality, our favorite word, find some consistency that you can utilize at every position that you need
1: to get the angels in a better spot. I, that. I think my, my, my advice to permanent asking any GM moving forward is get, get some, if you're going to go to the free agent market or trading or whatever, you, you're acquiring new players, get some guys who can play in the major leagues every day. You know, if, even if you have a, a the philosophy of, of of platooning players, get good players, get players who can hit, get players who can defend. They have to be able to do both. It's like Velasquez is nice if you want to have an eighth inning defensive sub, like, but you can't be playing. <laughs> you can't have four at bats a game. It's just, it's just not. Like, you're not gonna, it's, 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 like having a pitcher in your lineup, and they, the Angels did it with like three or four guys at a time, so. Stop with the dumpster diving. Stop with the players who are going to be in Taiwan next year. Like, go get major league-ready players. You don't have to go freaking get, you know, the, the Anthony Rendon's every season and all that. Because for one thing, that, those, are always, those don't always pan out. But go get s- solid MLB players. Look what the Phillies did. You know, they're, they're, that's not a homegrown team, largely. There's, they put together this nice little puzzle piece through free agency with smart signings. And, and they got players who have had a consistent playing career. Like Segura is a veteran now, but he, and he had a, a couple breakout years towards the beginning there, and it's kind of plateaued since. But he's been solid. You just need solid players like that, especially when you have guys like Trout and Otani and, and Taylor Ward when he's on. Like, you have the big hitters in the lineup. You just need to give them a nice cushion around them. You don't want you don't want those big dips in the lineup. You just want solid MLB players from one through nine, and I think that's the best advice I could give, Manassian or or any of the past Angel GMs. I guess probably Artie's fault that they were dumpster diving all these years, but stop that.
0: We've been saying forever that there is a common denominator in the Angels' problems, and it always boils down to the one and the only Artie Moreno and hopefully we see a changing of the guard soon when he sells this team to whoever wants to buy it and has a good heart and wants to see this organization thriving once again. There's going to be a lot of things going on with the Angels here in the offseason and as well with the Ducks in their regular season as it has begun. We are a month into hockey and almost a week officially into the Major League Baseball offseason now, but the idea is to be smart, be consistent, and get better. And that is a theme that can not only extend to the Angels, but to the Anaheim Ducks as well. We covered a lot here on our 10th episode of the Catella Chronicles podcast with your hosts, Dominic Lorenz and David Goodkind. I think we made some good ground today. A couple mic drop moments, a couple of bold predictions. We talked a little football, a little basketball. We fit it all in. Not bad. Good job, man. I like it. Yeah, that was fun. That's a good one. <laughs> all righty. Well, until the next time. Catella Chronicles fans, I'm Dominic Lorenz. That's David Goodkind. You can follow us, as always, on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, our handles are at Catella underscore C-H-R-O-N. You can check out our website, CatellaChronicles.wordpress.com, for all the good, juicy information. But the MLB offseason has begun. The Ducks regular season is in action. Follow everything for both those teams right here at Catella Chronicles. And we are the heartbeat of pro sports. In Anaheim, that is us, Catella Chronicles.